Well, good morning. Give you a welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also welcome those who are joining us uh, via live stream. Uh, basically, I want an announcement uh, today. This is our last Sunday um, with uh, Jan and Arne uh, Detmar. Well, hopefully it's not our last Sunday. Hopefully y'all come back every now and then and visit with us. But they are moving to the Presbyterian uh, Village in Athens. Uh, and um, I want to ask them to come forward for a moment and got something for you and say a few words about them. Um, how long have y'all been members here? When did y'all join? A little over eight years. Good, good. Come on up here. Come, we, everybody's got to see you. That's right. And um, Arne's been a deacon for, how long have you been a deacon? Okay, at least four, four, five, six years. As soon as we can make you a deacon, we did. And uh, he's more recently has been the chair of the deacons. And, uh, but they have both uh, been a great uh, blessing to our church, and we're going to be uh, sad to lose them. And uh, Aaron and Jan, I want to present to you. You ought to know by now, everyone should know, this is the uh, artwork done by uh, Miranda. We're thinking that we're going to stop giving that away because ever since we started giving away Miranda's artwork, more people have, um, have left so they could get a copy of that. But we hope that you'll remember us uh, well through there and, and pray for the Lord's blessings. And let me have a word of prayer for you right now. Father, we uh, give you thanks uh, for Arne and for Jan and for blessing our church uh, when you brought them here. Uh, we thank you uh, for uh, the encouragement they have always been, uh, their activity here with, among us. And we pray now for your blessings upon them uh, as they will go to another city and then become part of another church fellowship. Uh, we know that you will use them continually wherever they are. And may your spirit be with them. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, thank you. Let's uh, prepare now our hearts for worship.
In Romans 8, we are told, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We come with thankfulness, our great God, that nothing can separate us from your love, that is, in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we pray that as we lift up our, our prayers, our voices, as we hear and are your word that is proclaimed that all things will be done in such a way that pleases you, we pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, whom our Lord Jesus has sent to us. May all things be pleasing unto you this morning as we worship you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship together, singing in Christ alone.
You be seated. Let's confess our faith together through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And our Father, who does dwell in heaven, we give you praise that you are the God who is with us here upon this earth. There is no place where we may be that you are not with us. And indeed, by your Holy Spirit, our very bodies are temples of God. We thank you, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, who's come upon, who came upon this earth and who did your will on earth as it is in heaven, who honored your name, who has brought your kingdom. And we pray for his return when he will consummate his kingdom. Meanwhile, may we whom he has left here upon this earth, may we also serve your kingdom as he served your kingdom. Honor your name as he honored your name. That we will do your will as he has done your will. Give us today our daily bread that we need in order to do that will. Give us what we need physically, what we need emotionally and mentally. Give us what we need spiritually so that we might be good servants following after your will and honoring your name. We pray, our Father, for those among us who are ill and we pray for their healing. We pray for those who have lost loved ones, for your comfort of them. For those who are struggling in the midst of this COVID with with loneliness, we pray that you may uplift them. We pray that you might use us, our Father, to give daily bread to our brothers and sisters and to our neighbors. We pray that you forgive us of our debts, which are many, as we forgive our debtors, which are very few. We pray, our Father, that you would give to us the the same spirit of of God, our Father, who is merciful. Uh, God, uh, God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown great love, and that we might have that love which covers a multitude of the sins of others. Lead us not into temptation. You know the particular weaknesses of each one of us. You know that there is Satan who continues to try to, to separate us from you. And we pray that you would deliver us from him, deliver us from the evil that is in this world. 
We make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom, that you have all of the power, to you is to be the glory forever. In Christ's name, amen.
seated. Thank you, choir, for that uh, beautiful, that's just one of my favorite, favorite songs, Come to Jesus. Well, we've come to the end of the letter to Hebrews. I've counted them up. This is the 30th sermon that was started back on May the 17th. And if anyone is thinking that this is a lot of sermons, I want you to know, you know, that my, my preaching mentor was James Boyce. He gave, for, for 16 chapters in Romans, he gave 239 sermons over eight years. So you're, you are getting off easy for me. Now, as we're finishing up, let's briefly refresh ourselves of the line of thinking for the letter. This unknown author is concerned that members of this unknown church, that they're beginning to waver in their faith. Indeed, as you recall, several times, he's going to give them, he gives them direct warning of falling away. Now, it seems likely that his readers are Jewish because the whole letter is one lesson after another taken from the Jewish scriptures, that is, our Old Testament, in which he demonstrates how those scriptures, how they teach, they point to, they foreshadow Jesus and his work. And he presents a series of lessons, how he's going to demonstrate the superiority of Jesus over revered characters from the scriptures and over even their practices. And so he begins back in chapter 1. He displays the superiority of Jesus over angels. He teaches that Jesus alone is equated with God. He alone is in the image of God. And then Jesus qualifies himself when he takes on flesh. He qualifies himself to be our Savior takes on that flesh, he experiences the trials that all of us go through, sharing in our humanity. And in that flesh, he then delivers us from the power of death. He makes propitiation for our sins. And therefore, as our author points out, he proves himself greater than Moses, who had been the deliverer of their ancestors from Egypt. In short, He becomes our high priest, and that becomes now the key image of Jesus throughout the letter. He is our high priest who is sympathetic to us. Uh, He is our high priest who allows us to come into the mercy seat and make our requests made known to God. He is like Melchizedek, remember him, who our author said was greater than Abraham. Uh, So Jesus, like Melchizedek, has a priesthood on a different order from that of Aaron and his sons. Jesus has made a better covenant than that of Moses. As high priest, he has offered up the better sacrifice than all the sacrifices of all those priests of the Jewish system. Why? Because of his sacrifice was needed only once. And it was made to, and it was sufficient to cover all of our sins. Furthermore, his blood established the new covenant, the covenant that is eternal. And therefore, he tells them then, with all this in mind, hold fast to the confession that rests in the work of Jesus, that secures the hope, remember that term, of a heavenly, eternal city. 
That kind of faith, he pointed out back in chapter 11, is what sustained the saints of the Old Testament. It's what kept them faithful to God. Therefore, be like them. Do not grow weary. Instead, as we move into the last chapter, show a life of one who remains faithful through the love that you show one another, through the contentment that you possess in Christ. So now finally comes the time in which he's going to give his blessing to them and say farewell. So look with me in verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that is actually one long sentence here. And if you take all the extras, you have simply this word. May God equip you. Our author, as you recall, in chapter 13, he's given them a sizable list of things to do, of attitudes to possess, and it's a difficult list to fulfill. And he recognizes that, and so he's now calling upon God to equip them accordingly. Now, all these extras that he added to are very helpful in giving us insight into the giver, giving us insight into his intentions and the the means through which he works in us. So let's go back over it, uh, phrase by phrase. First of all, again, he speaks of God as the God of peace. And he's the God of peace because he is the God who has removed the, the enmity that existed between God and man. Man was under God's wrath. God had been rebelled against by man. Now, we did not at some point declare a truce with one another. Rather, as explained in Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, that's when we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God took the initiative while we were enemies, while we were still in rebellion, that's when he sent his son for that purpose of reconciliation. And therefore, he is the God of peace. Now, he's the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. Now, the resurrection, what it signifies, specifically right here, is that it signifies that Jesus' death did accomplish its intent. Hebrews 2.17 says this of Jesus. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, like us, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to do this, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so the very fact that God the Father brought him back from the dead, what it means is, God accepted that sacrifice, that he did indeed make propitiation for the people. Now let's, we're going to skip a verse, a phrase, and we'll come back to it. But he notes here now how this was done. He notes here, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now this 
this phrase, or at least this preposition by, it's, it's, it makes kind of the, the thinking, it, it's confusing exactly what Arthur's trying to say. I mean, how was Jesus raised by his blood? And some versions will translate that word with, with, with. Jesus was raised with his blood. And even then, though, it's kind of awkward trying to figure out exactly what he means here. But I think our author is actually referring back to the concepts that he had presented in chapters 8 through 10, in which he presents there what Jesus has accomplished with his blood. Now, he states it very succinctly in chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Let me read that. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, okay, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The blood that Christ presents is his blood of his own sacrifice on the cross. And that is what has secured this new and eternal covenant. What our author is really saying to us is this. The resurrection was not just about the resurrection. It's not just about Jesus coming back to life again. And his work on the cross was not just about, it wasn't limited to what happened there on the cross. Jesus was the great sacrifice, but he was more. He was the high priest offering the sacrifice. And so he took his own sacrifice of blood after his resurrection, and he ascended into heaven, into the holy of holies, and there he secured our eternal redemption. That's where that ritual of the high priest on the day of atonement, that's the one time the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies and he goes in there with the blood of the sacrifice. He's saying that's what that foreshadowed. It foreshadowed what Jesus has done for us. And it speaks to how God again, or how Jesus obtained our peace with God. All right, now let's back up to that phrase that identifies Jesus. He speaks of him as the great shepherd of the sheep. Now, it seems to me that's a surprising designation for Jesus. I mean, Jesus certainly is the shepherd of the sheep, but it doesn't seem to fit into the context. All along in Hebrews, he has been called what? Our high priest. But then for also for that matter, he has never before mentioned the term resurrection. His whole thought process, our authors, has been on the ascension. And so, in particular, again, of Jesus as a high priest ascending into that holy of holies. But having said all that, again, we all know that Jesus referred to himself as a shepherd, and it fits in well with the Jewish scriptures. Uh, Particularly in Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 34 depicts God, God is speaking to his people, and he speaks of God as being both the shepherd and as the one who's going to raise up a shepherd for the people. 
So let me read to you, for example, in chapter 34 and 15. God says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And then he adds this in verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now, Ezekiel comes long after David. But our author's readers would have had no difficulty in understanding Jesus, the son of David, as being this shepherd that Ezekiel is speaking of, or that God is speaking of. And when you think about it, I, I would think really the image of a shepherd is actually a more comforting image, particularly to these readers who are experiencing persecution and experiencing a lot of trials. In the same way that a sheep looks to their shepherd for protection from their enemies, so these believers look to their shepherd for the same. And so the God of peace who has raised the great shepherd Jesus from the dead, he now is called upon, and this is where the actual blessing part comes, to do something for his readers. Okay, So let's look at that in verse 21. Equip you with everything good. Our author wants God to, to outfit his people. Okay, That's what this term means. Uh, give them the equipment that they need. Another translation, King James, for example, uses the term make perfect. Give them what they need, what is lacking. Give them, for example, as we're told in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit. Or give them, as we're told in Ephesians, the armor of God. Give them all that they need. Now, for what purpose? And this is critical that you may do his will. Now, he's really expanding here the list that he had given in this chapter. He had, uh, this is why they need everything that is good, because they are to do everything according to God's will. Now, to do God's will for them, specifically, he had a few things he wanted them to be able to do. You know, support those in prison, show hospitality. But now he's just opening it all up. Everything that they do is to be done in keeping with God's will. They're always, all the time, to do what is right. Now, the last phrase of this blessing, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, it adds a little bit more to what we're looking at here. The the equipping is done by God. He's saying here, working in us. Specifically, we understand that to be done by the Holy Spirit. Okay? It is the Spirit who came in us, who gave us faith, who caused us to be born again. But he continues to carry on that work of sanctification. Now, we're also we are given external help. So there is Scripture. That's why the, the author keeps taking them through Scriptures. Okay? Scripture provides teaching, provides instruction and understanding. There are also the means of grace. Preaching is a means of grace. The sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper are means of grace. There's also prayer. There is fellowship. What we're actually doing here is all here to help us, to equip us. 
Now, our author spoke of, actually of this latter thing of, of fellowship back in chapter 10. You'll remember that. Let us consider how to stir up one another to what? To love and to do good works, not neglecting to meet together. Purpose of coming together is to help equip one another. Having said that, none of these things would have effect without God, without the Holy Spirit working in us. It's the Spirit who gives us the ears to hear. The Spirit who causes these things to profit for us. So we're to do God's will. And then he notes here, doing God's will in terms of what is pleasing in his sight. Let's think for a moment how that helps us to think a little bit further about God's will in a way that it actually gives encouragement. Now we've all, sometime in our lives, we've all done, you know, we've done good work. We've worked hard. But we did it under someone or for someone without getting that positive feedback. Kind of, a, you know, we did their will, but their attitude basically was, well, that's what's expected. Okay. Shouldn't get any special points for that. I remember a manager at a fast food restaurant I worked at back way long time ago in Myrtle Beach. And his style was this, that he only spoke up when you made mistakes. And then when you're doing things right, well, you just kept a straight face. And I, I still remember that time. I'm working busily trying to keep up with the drinks. I'm falling behind here, and he comes up with his straight face, and he just starts to help as well. And I thought, man, I am in big big trouble. But no, he was just seeing there was a lot of customers and it was hard to keep up and he was just coming to help. Nevertheless, it's unnerving when you, when you don't know if you're actually pleasing someone. Well, our author is telling us that yes, doing God's will is what we ought to be doing and nothing less is expected. Even so, that kind of good behavior, it pleases God. It gives him pleasure. And doesn't that very thought, doesn't that encourage him to know that you can please your father? Now our next verse identifies, okay, so we're done here with now the blessing. And our next verse identifies the nature of the whole letter. Verse 22, I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. Well, the purpose of this brief letter, I guess that's his opinion of how long the letter is, but this brief letter does what? It takes readers into a detailed explanation of how Jesus and his work has been manifested in the Old Testament scriptures. And his point is this, all of this complicated study has a purpose, and that is to exhort his readers to do something. Okay. He's, a, he's a preacher. He's got a point here that he wants to make. Now, you should know it all by now. It is for his readers to endure their trials, to remain faithful to their Lord. This is a way of saying, don't give up. Don't fall to the side like your ancestors did in the wilderness. Hold fast to the good confession, keeping confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ 
That's the purpose. That's the exhortation. And then he closes in verses 23 and 24. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Now it is very tempting, and all commentators want to do this, to to speculate from this closing, well, who is the author? Who are the readers? Where did they live? But we're just going to have to leave that alone. Let's just look at that good, is his goodbye, which is a good one, by the way, to, to add to our own letters, which is grace be with you. After all of this, think of God's grace. Now, as we come to the, to the conclusion here, I see two questions that really encompass the whole letter that's being brought out in the blessing uh, specifically, but actually presents really what all he was trying to accomplish there in the letter. Here's the first question. Do we live each day doing everything with the intent of pleasing God? And you'll recall the opening of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, and then there are three specific requests. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. All three requests focus on what? On glorifying and serving God. And praying that prayer daily, I'll, I'll say this for myself, I'll give my own personal testimony, is that praying that every morning has helped me to personally calibrate my mind, calibrate my heart for the day. It it brings before me, today is about honoring the Lord. It's about uh, serving the kingdom. That's why I have been given life for yet another day. Now, I may have an agenda. I will have tasks to carry out. I've got projects to complete. I might have some chores and errands. I might even have some plans for just relaxing or for entertainment. But what I'm told here is this. Whatever the activities may be in my day, they are all to be done from this perspective of honoring my God, fulfilling his will, of pleasing him. And if I start off with that mindset, it will help keep me from sin. It'll keep me, it'll lead me to having a fulfilling and a rewarding day. It'll also prepare me for whatever happens in that day. So for example, my plans usually will be interrupted. I'll be interrupted with a phone call, with a text message, with an email or a visit. Somebody needs my attention. Or maybe I just get some news and now just throws the whole day out of joint. Well, if my mind is now set on pleasing God, honoring him, well, I'm going to regard any interruption as something that has come from him that gives me opportunity to please him by the way that I respond. The scripture is very clear that God likes to test us. We may not like to get tested, but he likes to do it again and again. 
And if we have a mindset in which we anticipate pop tests each day, well, we're going to be ready to pass those tests. We'll pray for God to equip us each day, as the blessing says, with everything good for doing his will. Now, having said all this, here here is where I think such a question can really, really make a difference in our lives. And that is, throughout our day, we ask this question. We ask God if what we are about to do, particularly what we're about to say, does it please him? If we do that, you will be surprised at how much wisdom you will gain. Now, you don't ask God, is it okay with God? You ask him, you use this terminology, if it pleases him. Lord, this post that I am about to post on Facebook, does it please you? Do you take delight in it? Lord, boy, this funny joke I'm about to forward to others, does it please you? Do you take delight in it? Lord, this decision that I'm about to act on now, Does it please you? Do you take delight in it? You know, I am not in a position to tell you everything that you need to be thinking about, how you're to speak, how you're to act. God's given to each one of us. He's given us different personalities, different uh, gifts by which we serve him. So all the more reason then for each one of us to use this question to help us be wise in our actions. And I guarantee you, if you ask this question sincerely, your Lord will give you the answer. God wants to be pleased. He wants to be honored by his people. Now, this question, then, it addresses our actions, okay, our actions for God. The next question addresses our understanding of God. It goes like this. Do we understand God? Do we understand everything that God does through the person and work of Jesus? The second half of that question, that's the critical element, through the person and work of Jesus. Recall again for a moment, the first readers of of Hebrews are likely Jews. Their scriptures, which is our Old Testament, They had that, and those scriptures reveal the true God. It reveals his true laws, what God wants of his people. There is nothing in those scriptures that is false. But having said that, the danger lies in this, in reading them outside of Jesus and outside of his gospel of grace. You know who's most guilty of this? Preachers. We're guilty of this. We'll take a story. We'll go to the Old Testament. We'll take a story like David killing Goliath or or Daniel in the lion's den. And then we go through all of this and we come up with a good moral lesson of how to be like David or how to be like Daniel. And that's it. No Jesus. Or something even worse. We'll take the Ten Commandments and we'll use them and we'll do the best that we can do 
to make you feel as guilty as you ought, and basically teaching you this. This is how you win God's favor, or at least it's how you keep his favor, keep from going to hell. In other words, we'll steer you from the gospel of grace to a religion in which you must work to, to get your salvation or to keep it. Now, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about liberal churches. I'm talking about conservative evangelicals. It's our bent. Keep going back to what you, we ought to be doing. Now, let's look at our author here. He, you know, he'd warned his readers of losing God's favor. I mean, he, he warned them of that. But instead of telling them to work harder, he turned them to Jesus. He turned them to the Old Testament scriptures to reveal Jesus and what Jesus had done for them. That Jesus is the great, all-sufficient sacrifice. Jesus is the high priest who mediated a new covenant and who acts on our behalf. Without Jesus, trying to, to live rightly before God is an unendurable burden. But in Jesus, living rightly before God, it becomes a joy. Because in Jesus, we know that we already have God's favor. It is only in and through Jesus, furthermore, that we can even know God at all. John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he says, if you had known me, he's talking to his disciples, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Why? Because you have seen Jesus, and you know Jesus. That's how you know him. And so I would say this. You ever read a book about God, or you hear a sermon about God? Look and listen for Jesus. And if Jesus is not brought into the message then you can be sure God is being misrepresented. And for anyone to tell me that they pray to God or they have a relationship with God and they do not bring in Jesus, actually, if they are not then filled with, with thanksgiving and praise for Jesus, well, that testimony means nothing. They can exalt the love of God all they want, but if they do not exalt the love of God that is shown in Jesus Christ, they don't know God's love. In this, the love of God was manifest among us, says John in 1 John 4, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins to remove God's wrath. So we can't understand God. We cannot know him without Jesus. And finally here note though, that God will not accept our praise that does not also exalt Jesus Christ. You go back how he started off in Hebrews, the very first few verses, chapter one, all he's doing is exalting Jesus Christ. That's how he starts off the letter. And he exalts Jesus Christ as what? As God who is worthy of our praise. And so if you learn nothing else from Hebrews, 
Let it be this, that Jesus Christ is worthy of all praise, for Jesus Christ is our God, who has fulfilled the promise of the scriptures, who has become both our sacrifice and our high priest, who has freed us from sin, who has won for us our eternal inheritance, which is what that heavenly city of God, truly. Jesus is worthy of all honor and blessing and glory. We give you praise, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all praise and thanksgiving. For it is Jesus Christ who, is, who has made that sacrifice for our sins, who has gone into that holy of holies in heaven on our behalf, so that we may follow him there and know that we will receive mercy. Oh, how wonderful is our Lord Jesus Christ. May we live ever for his glory. In his name we pray, amen. All right, we're coming to our final hymn, and you can go ahead and be standing, and uh, as you do that, uh, Amy is going to explain how we're going to do this, and we're also going to have Russ here. You keep your eye upon him, and he'll be cueing you in on your parts, but Amy, first of all, is going to explain these. We are so excited um, that it's finally time for you to join us as we sing uh, the hymn, Is He Worthy? So you'll find it printed in the center panel and the right side panel of your bulletin. And how we would like to do this is, is for you on the center panel to respond to the words that are in italics. So you will answer the questions that we ask up here. Once we get to the right side of the panel, if you feel confident enough and you would like to join in and sing that entire page with us, please, please do. And as you, as you gain confidence and feel like you are understanding things, we hope that you will join us. Um, if you prefer just to listen and just to respond to the words in italics, that's also wonderful. Um, but it is our prayer um, that we would truly worship God as we realize his worthiness today.
Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.